Hi, my name is Tracy G and I'm an inner work coach, NLP trainer and podcaster extraordinaire. Passionate about equality and a world that is more diverse and inclusive, giving each and every one of us the opportunity to be the best version of ourselves. As a biracial woman, I've experienced my fair share of discrimination in the past and come out on top. We all know that discrimination and bias still exists in the world today, and it's not always easy to know what to do about it. This podcast, All One Inclusive, is about celebrating all diversity and being proud of all that you are. I chat with inspiring guests and my friends as we share stories from news sources and listeners from all over the world who have experienced some form of discrimination firsthand. The aim is for us to be able to discuss this issue more openly so it becomes better understood by all and provide tips about what you can do to make a difference. The world may have a lot of catching up to do, but if we can imagine a more equal world, we can create change step by step, ripple by ripple. Happy hump day! Hi! Hello! Hi Tracy, how are you? Awesome! Looking fresh-faced as ever. I never look fresh-faced this time in the morning. Thank you. Take a compliment. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. How's your week been? Great, because we went to the movies and it was awesome. Mm, really good. Very good surprise too, yes. Movie we went to see was What's Love Got to Do With It? And it's written by Jemima Khan, who we, who we both didn't know basically had... Um, had the writing skills that she has, and mm. she ended up attending the show. So that was good. Yeah, that was nice. Here yeah, we got the we got the film introduced. It was the world premiere, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And it was introduced by the director. I'm so terrible. I don't remember his name. Oh, I can't. No, I just all my focus was on Jemima. So yeah, all my focus was on Jemima as well. Why? Because we know of her. Yeah, because we're more familiar with her. Um, she's quite a glamorous figure. She's part of the London arist- aristocracy. So there you go. And she was obviously, did she become famous when she married Imran Khan, a cricketer? But yeah, I haven't really heard much about her since. And here she is producing movies. And it was a really good movie. It was so funny. It was, yeah. And apparently after her divorce um, from Imran Khan in Pakistan, she moved back to London about 10 years ago. And when she was in London, um, because of her experience of living in Pakistan for so many years, a lot of her her company and all her friends in London um, were from the Pakistani Indian culture. And that's what inspired her to write um, the script for What's Love Got to Do With It. Yeah. And it is about a family, a British family uh, with Pakistani roots, right? That's right. Yeah. 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 And um, the story is about um, the comparison um, around um, assisted marriages versus how um, the Western culture normally handles marriages or how mm-hmm. marriages come about. And yeah. which would be the best, not necessarily the best way, anyway, but just in putting them side by side, mm-hmm. seeing, um, you know, which which ones work and um, or which ones would be best. Mm. Just exploring that whole, whole idea about... Um, I suppose about, it's about exploring that whole idea and raising the question around about if your parents were to um, organise your partner, 
who would it be? What kind of person would it be? Yeah. That's to me, that's a bit scary because it's a it's about the perception of who you are, what they think would be good for you. It's all of those things. To me, it's quite a scary idea because I feel like it reflects how well they know you. And, yeah. and also what they want for you. Yeah. I think is best for you. Yeah. So um, I can't imagine what type of person or who my mum and dad would pick. Um, I know, but I know for certain, one thing I am sure of is that the type of person or type of guy my mum would choose would be very different to the type of guy my dad would choose. And so I think there'd probably be rift between them both if I was to agree to an assisted marriage. Mm. Well, yeah, same. My mum and dad aren't together and haven't been together for years. But um, the same. Uh, They would have very different ideas about who would be suitable, who would be a suitable partner for me, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Who do you think they'd pick? Uh, My dad would be like, nice Nigerian man, for sure. (laughs) For sure. For sure, my dad was like, nice Nigerian man. Uh, and my mother, not so sure about who she would pick. I might ask her, she's coming soon. I'll ask her when I speak to her. So it's like, what kind of man would you pick if you were to pick my partner? I'm going to ask her. I think that's a really good question. A really good conversation, actually. That's it. In fact, you know what? It'd be great to have your mum on the show. Oh, she wouldn't. Because, she because wouldn't. Your, mom, your mom's been referenced um, um, many times on the podcast, so w- there's an opportunity to get Tracy. Well, ask her. Say, go on, ask her now, because I, I don't think she would. Hi, is it Ms. Gandu? Oh, gosh, she's never been Ms. Gandu. <laughs> you refer to us. Oh, it's K. 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 Hi, K. This is an official invitation for you to come on board Tracy's podcast <laughs> as a special guest. I'm sure all our listeners would would love to hear you share some of your stories. Oh, all right. That's how she has to listen to this one now. Um, and yes, yeah, so the week's been great. Um, that was really good. That was a highlight, honestly. That was a highlight for me Definitely. this week. It was a world premiere. And we also got the opening speech from the writer and the director. Uh, and it was um, all on the backdrop of the iconic um, Sydney Opera House. So you can't get much better than that. Definitely a highlight of the week. Exactly. Definitely. Um, and then I called up friends for birthday dinners and chats and things. And that's nice. And just Oh, and oh, and Frida. That was really good as well. Oh, of course. That's right. You have a Frida Kahlo interactive exhibition. Mm-hmm. definitely worth visiting yeah the platforms um artistic platforms um, that the organizers put together mm. uh, to celebrate the life of freedom mm. yeah yeah very an immersive experience it's a very immersive experience and she's an icon an international icon and I guess I think it was maybe watching the movie because I've been to the blue house where she grew up where she lived and then I watched the movie to really understand how inspirational and forward thinking she was, especially in her time. Mm. You know, she was like a world-renowned artist, feminist, communist, 
mm. all of those things. Um, just such an incredible woman. And also a woman that's lived in suffering. That's it. That's what really came through for mm. me the exhibition was um, how she combated so much pain, uh, the mm. physical pain also, you know. Yeah, physical and emotional. Incredible. Yeah, it's incredible. Physical, so. emotional pain. And 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 at the same time, because you think they were like exclusive, mutually exclusive, her zest for life. Mm. Yeah. And the interpretation, knowing that and, and the interpretation of yeah. her artwork. Yes, the, because the it's symbolism. That, yeah, symbolism. because that really gives depth to her art when you know the story. Yeah, it kind of brings it full circle. Yeah. So, um, and I really enjoyed the VR experience, which was, again, one of the platforms um, that the organisers arranged. And it took you on this immersive journey from her perspective it was mm. amazing it was it was incredible yeah. really good so i highly recommend that it's really kind all right and because you know we're in january every january start of the new year mm. we have an announcement of the australian of the year so that's the story i'm going to go with today okay. because generally speaking the australian of the year is someone that's inspirational leader and is doing great work right that's the whole point and who um, and, uh, and who who decides the Australian of the year? Is it like a public vote? I think it's like the attorney and... general, but you're right. I don't know how the voting goes. Maybe it can it's a shortlist, I think, isn't there? Um, yeah, but who decides? I, I think it might even be community members who vote and um, they put forward suggestions. Yeah, because there's usually one from each state, right? It's kind yeah. of like a whole year thing. Then to get nominated and then you get states and, you know, so you get the local ones and then you get the uh, <clears throat> deciding on Australian beer. But anyway, um, this is the story about the winner or the award who was awarded. It's not really a competition. So it's from the ABC News mm -hmm. and it's the title is Body Image Campaigner Taryn Brum Brumfit, who di directed Embrace, that's her documentary, named 2023 Australian of the Year. Okay, that's great. Yeah. And Taryn Brumfit wants women and children to appreciate and understand their bodies. And that's like her vision or mission. And she's from Adelaide and she struggled to accept her body and she's inspired millions of people worldwide. Therefore, she's the 2023 Australian of the Year. And she was awarded that um, prestigious award by the Prime Minister in a ceremony this week. I see. And there was others. There was Professor Tom Karma, who spent decades improving the lives of Indigenous people. He was named the Senior Australian of the Year. Senior Australian of the if Year. They have categories, different categories, okay. Oh, yeah, because... Oh, wait, yeah, sorry. So Taryn is Australian of the Year. Socceroo star Awe Mabil, who mm. works to improve the re other refugees' lives, was named the Young Australian of the Year. Professor Tom Carmo, who spent decades improving the lives of Indigenous people, was named the Senior Australian of the Year. And Amar, or Amar Singh, a Western Sydney Sikh who feeds the needy and champions tolerance, was named Australia's local hero. Oh, okay. So I'm liking these categories, and what I'm liking even more is that the um, 
the winners of each category, they all come from obviously diverse backgrounds, mm. ethnic backgrounds, which is really great to see. It's really great to see yeah. this more um, diverse especially, nominees. Yeah, especially when being with spearheads of, of these great initiatives within communities. Mm. Which is exactly. great. It's, it's great that um, they're being celebrated. Yes. And given the accolade that they obviously deserve. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's, great. it's great to hear. And Brumfit, that that's a surname, Taryn's surname. Oh, I see. Oh, I see. Taryn Brumfit. Okay. Yeah, Taryn Brumfit is a director whose 2016 documentary Embrace explored how she learned to love her body and why so many women are unsatisfied with how they look. And it's been shown in 190 com- countries and is streamed on Netflix. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch that. When you mentioned the, the documentary Embrace, I remember seeing that on my oh, Netflix. Dear. Yes, Embrace. And um, yeah, I do remember seeing that. Um, so maybe I'll go, I'm going to go back and visit that, actually. Yeah. So, yeah. Me too. Me too. So she's got books out as well. And then she's got like four books out. And the latest one's called Embrace Kids, which is really good. Kids, I think kids, that's where we need to start, right, with the kids. Sold to millions worldwide of books. That public life had a sudden beginning in 2013 when she pose, posted a simple before-after photo on Facebook showing how her body had changed. The photo, an expression of self-acceptance, went viral. And she looks beautiful in both photos. So that in the story, there's a before and after picture. I'll try and describe them. So her before picture is her wearing a bikini, standing posing like in a competition it could be I don't know what competition it was could be Miss Universe or black kind you know bikini sharp pose and she's definitely she's wearing a number so she's in some sort of competition and then the second picture is her excess skin and you know more regular body you know more regular common body yeah not from part of the side um lumps and bumps basically Showing all the lumps and bumps. Very beautiful. Yeah. Was the first picture, was it airbrushed in any way? Was it kind of... I don't think so, but who knows? I wouldn't be able to tell you that. Um, maybe there was a time in Taryn's life when um, when she put a lot of attention on the way her she body looked. Yeah, looked. But do you know what I'm going to say? Because I've just zoomed in on the pictures, right? <sighs> it could be just um, my eyes, but actually... What I've noticed, which is quite interesting, her before picture where it's like body beautiful, perfect, toned, flat stomach, slender legs, that kind of before picture, wearing a bikini. Um, She does actually have stretch marks on her belly that indicate a previous pregnancy, um, which you can't really see unless you zoom in. I noticed that. So that's quite interesting. So maybe that was part of the start of her journey. And then um, one of the comments is we weren't born into the world hating our bodies, which is true. This is something the world has taught us. And she says, body shaming is a universal problem. We have been bullied and shamed into thinking our bodies are the problem. She says, what if instead of spending precious time and energy at war with their bodies, our young people were free to become the leaders, big thinkers and game changers the world needs more of right now? So that's basically what she says. And she does highlight, which I think is important, 
she said promoting a healthy body image was not about encouraging obesity it's about the way that we feel about all of ourselves our skin color our height our age our gender our unique selves and it's learning to move nourish respect and enjoy our bodies because you can't look after something you don't love and i just actually find that quite touching when I think about it. A lot of us can relate to having an issue with body image at some point in our lives. I know I certainly can. I mean, what about you? Yeah, I I mean, I can, I'm hearing um, Taryn's words and how she's saying about um, being able to feel comfortable in your own skin, your own body. Um, There is pressure in the external world. Um, you know that's the world that we live in and uh, these we, the pressure to look a certain way when bodies cele- bodies are celebrated when there is you know flat stomachs or you know thin thighs and you know that that's what's celebrated you know people say oh you look great or oh, you're looking really well that's the the image that um that's kind of portrayed out there so um yeah mm, yeah so do you have any personal experiences of not embracing your body? I, don't, I'm, I mean, I feel like I'm comfortable in my skin. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm comfortable in my body. But I'm also um, not um, confident enough to um, wear a bikini um, a lot of the times. So I suppose I'm in that middle ground. Uh, yeah, I'm, I don't have that many experiences. That's okay. So have you always felt the same about your body? Yeah, I would say I would say I've always felt comfortable within my own skin. I, I, I'm not sure if anyone's ever happy with their own body. You know, there's always um, whether or not you you know you don't like the size of your nose, or you don't like the way your toes look, or um, you've got a flabby belly, or you've got slightly thicker thighs, um, or you've got bingo wings. So, um, and I think we can also be very overcritical about ourselves. So, so, um, but what about you? Because, yeah, that's what we can be. But how do you feel? Are you saying that you're just in the I'm middle? Or? I would say I'm comfortable um, with my own body. But however, I think I can be overcritical about myself. So um, parts of my body, I'm not I'm not great about. You know, I'd love to change parts of my body, but that's that's like everybody, everybody would like to change parts of their body. I personally don't feel pressure to conform. And I think... Um, I look after my body because I would like a um, healthy body. I don't go to the gym. I don't do my workouts. I don't look after, I don't have go on any special diets because of an external pressure. It's how I feel about myself. Mm. And how I want to feel comfortable in my, within myself because that's what Taryn's talking about. Taryn's talking about being able to feel comfortable within yourself. And so how I feel comfortable within my body is by going to a gym. That's what makes me feel comfortable within my body. If I didn't go to a gym, I wouldn't feel comfortable in my body. Well, that's, that's, I guess that's the point though, isn't it? Really? I'm just thinking like my body, my perception of my body has changed dramatically, actually, if I think about it, from being very young to where I am today like we obviously I wasn't born hating my body but I did hate my skin color and my hair um 
very, very, very young age. And why? Do you know what I mean? So why did I feel that way? And I guess it's the world, I'll just like, generalize, it's the world and the, the messages I was getting about what that meant in terms of the opportunities you could have, the relationships you could have, the life you could have, actually. So I guess that's why. And then also those differences that are, if they're different, and they, it depends on the community you grow up in, I, you know, I was the only kind of colour in my primary school. So those differences stood out, like you would say. And then, yeah, I guess that's why. And and then, you know, kids, not very nice. Bullying. But then even some adults aren't very nice either. So I guess that's why. And then it's taken me quite a long time. I mean, I think I've said before, I'd straighten my hair to look more European, to fit in more, to feel more attractive. And it's only, it was only in my 30s, which I'm kind of um, embarrassed to admit. It's only in my 30s that, and late 30s at that, that I, I don't know what changed. Reflection work, I mean, doing, I've been doing a lot of work on myself since my 30s, <clears throat> but something changed where I finally just accepted and appreciated it because there's a difference between acceptance, this is just the way it is, and there's a difference between accepting and appreciating it's absolutely beautiful. I should be really proud of this. This is me, this is who I am. There's a complete difference. Um, and it's getting to that point and it took me a long time um, to get to that point. And that's why it's so important um, I think for people like Taryn to highlight these things because, and, and the other part of it is not wanting to change a thing because if you, why do you want to change it? Do you know what I mean? What was the idea that it needs to change in the first place? Yeah. This is again, a good battle, how you said about acceptance. So mm. yeah, you know how you were saying about, you don't know what necessarily happened you mentioned about being in your 30s. I think the landscape has changed over the last decades. And so whilst you're in your 20s, which is a number of decades ago, compared mm. to when you're in your 30s, you know, that's also maybe a factor in play. Um, you know, when, as we were growing up, there wasn't this, this idea to embrace who you are. And it's only very recently that's what's come about, about, you know, embracing the person you are, loving who you are that whole concept has really been been highlighted over that's you know over the last um last years and so you know maybe that was the time when you kind of took a slant and looked at things a little bit differently um I don't I think, think it was external honestly because here where we live hmm. still not a lot of people that look like me I mean there is certainly more I totally seen the massive change from when I first moved here. Here, in the UK, yes. Here, not so much. So my external environment wasn't different, really. In fact, it's 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 all it went the other way because there was far more people look like me in the UK than yeah. there ever has been here where I live now. So I don't think it was that, just for me. But um oh, you made me think of something and I forgot. Mm, it's just left my head about that. Oh, it's, it's interesting how you asked about 
how do I feel? And I know about my body and I know I've always felt comfortable with my skin color. I've never wanted to change my skin color. It's good. I can't mm. the time when I, when I want to change my skin color. I love my skin and I love the color of it. I remember when I, remember when I was very, very, very young um, I went through a phase and I'm so glad it was a phase. It was a very short phase where, um, and I must've been, gosh, I must've been about six or seven. And I would say that I wanted blue eyes and blonde hair. And <laughs> I can't I imagine you with blonde hair. <laughs> and, but, but, no, but I never wanted a different skin color. It was simply the features, the blue blue eyes and the blonde hair. And ironically enough, when I was in my 30s, you mentioned about being 30s. In my 30s, um, I, I, um, I've always worn contact lenses and, um, and I ended up going through another phase. I'm putting it down to a phase. I had a phase where I wore blue contact lenses. And I, looking back now on those photos, Tracy, I looked like an alien. <laughs> I really did. Because again, it's like the skin colour obviously stayed the same. It's my, my beautiful beige brown colour. And um, but then this set against this, these piercing blue eyes, it just looked like I was from a different planet. Oh, really? So I don't know what was going through my head. I don't know what narrative I was telling myself at that time mm. but I was obviously um I was I don't know if it was a fashion thing um, I don't know I think, when was it in the 90s it was in I'm ashamed to say it was probably about um 15 years ago 20 years ago right so like yeah yeah in the early 2000 okay because because I did the same phase. It wasn't because I didn't like my eyes. It was just I loved the, the be able to change the look so dramatically. So I'd like have green eyes, blue eyes, hazel eyes. I'd just rotate through these different eye colours. Do you remember? Because they were selling them everywhere, these coloured contact lenses. Okay, I have a prescription blue lens. Oh, I didn't know. So, you know, I would be wearing, this wasn't for partying. This was this was my attire this was my look okay number for a, and a number of, i think it went for about two years two three years oh um, wow like permanent and i actually remember when i let go of the blue contact lenses i remember quite specifically it was about embracing my beautiful brown eyes so i so i was i obviously was going through some kind of phase maybe it was my confidence levels Mm. And maybe that's what body shaming is all around is because is around the confidence factor if you're not confident your own body then you're going to be reaching out and trying to replace it trying to change it trying to alter it to fit in with what you think would make you comfortable and maybe that's what explains my blue contact lens era is that I was going, I was going through a time when I wasn't so confident and I wanted to be accepted. And mm -hmm. I remember it was a time when I was actually trying to fit into um into the Australian landscape. Oh, okay. But I'd arrived into Australia um and uh, wanted to fit in. And maybe that's subconsciously that's what was going on. And mm -hmm. so I remember 
because I know about when I when I finally let go of the contact them and I finally threw them in the bin, which is where they belong. And um, I remember feeling quite confident about myself and and owning my the color of my eyes and and how beautiful um, the depth of the brown was. And mm. so um, so for me, it was definitely a confidence. It was a confidence thing. So. Yeah, well, it just obviously it's linked. I mean, definitely how you feel about your body and your confidence is linked. For sure. It makes sense, doesn't it? Um, I was just thinking about other instance of body where I was not happy with my body. Getting called by boys that like you've got thunder thighs. That was a name I got called. Because I have quite a I've always had more a lot of muscle just because I'm that that's my body type's kind of sporty. I would describe my body type. And I do remember that really hurting. Yeah, at school, at high school, but it's like, how do they? And it's like interesting though. How do they know that that's going to hurt your feelings, or it's a trigger, basically? No, it's an insult. Obviously, it wasn't meant as a compliment. So how? I'm not even sure where that where that term even originated from. I know that it's still happening even now because I know recently, even on social media, there's girls as uh, as young as seven and eight looking at themselves in pictures. And commenting around, oh my, my thighs are looking big. So there's this focus on the thighs. Um, I'm not sure where that's come from. But isn't it interesting how, for bodies, as far as bodies go, there's this focus on wanting things bigger, and focus on wanting things smaller. And it's just like, and what isn't it interesting though when you think about the things like, if we're never happy, we're always we we're forever critical. Um, overcritical of ourselves so if you I'm I'm sure if you ask Cindy Crawford you know I'm sure Cindy Crawford would point out um, a fault that in her in her own body part of herself that she's not comfortable with and you know outside looking in we'd all think okay well you know that's the epitome of um, I don't know doesn't does it help maybe it helps some people to have that realization but I I I don't doesn't really the thing is it just takes so much energy Mm. like you could be spending your energy like on other things. It takes so much energy to have those thoughts or occupy your mind. And I'm really just grateful for how I feel about my body now. I'm pretty, pretty good with it. But it's just all this time and energy I wasted. Yeah, feeling anything. But but maybe that's something. Maybe that's a learning that comes as you get older, as you experience more, mm. and then you learn to appreciate and realize. That, that has been wasted energy and as you become older you become more confident and that you have yeah yeah I don't know or maybe some for some people that's that's probably true but it's it's interesting to see so many women go through surgeries and cosmetic procedures to, to change their body yeah as you get as you I've found I found them that as as a lot of women get older the emphasis not turns away from the body beautiful and then it turns to becoming more youthful and that's where the surgeries come into play. And yeah, so, but the useful is like related to beauty. Yes, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's about staying beautiful because that's, I mean, staying youthful because that's the perception of what beauty is. Yeah, yeah. I, I get it. I get it. I get it. I just... And it's easy for me to say because I look, I, 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 I feel I look good. I look younger than I am. 
So far, so good. I did one of those filter things with change your face, age, age you. Oh, I've never come across that one before. Right. Next time we see each other, okay. I'll do you. Yes, please. <laughs> um, and I just looked at my potentially 80-year-old self. I'm like, yeah, I could do that. I'm loving that because I'm going to be, um, well, I've always said I'm going to be 50 and fabulous. And now I'm knocking on 50's door. So, but I'm still feeling fabulous. Good. Good. <laughs> good. You are. You still look fabulous. Yeah, I think it's definitely, yeah, I, I think definitely with age, you know, with age comes wisdom, one would hope. And so, um, and so you wise up and you and you think okay well yeah it's you know you don't worry um, necessarily you know what you look like to the outside world it's about how um the focus is more so about how you feel within yourself and also you know what contribution you're making and what kind of purpose there is um to your existence so it's less about the aesthetics and more so about the internal for some people absolutely like i'm thinking what would i tell myself if i could go back to that time where I didn't, you know, where I hated my body, basically. Didn't like it very much. Didn't like very much about it. Like, what could I have said to myself then that would have changed how I felt? And I struggled to know what we did say to me then. Other than, do you know what? I'm just thinking really, just for me, because this is just how I feel like I would think. I would have to see lots of examples where the beauty is celebrated, where they looked similar had similar features to myself I think that's what I would have needed to be able to believe it and feel it at that age so I think that's a massive a massive thing anyway I digress so yes Taryn Brumfit Australian of the Year and actually the article goes on to talk about other Australians of the Year and their stories which you know um I know Sakuru Awamavel um is becoming a really powerful role model because he fled the civil war in Sudan and now he's one of Australia's top is 27 years old so that's beautiful that's amazing but actually he plays a Czech team now Sparta Prague because he's in Europe and he does has a not-for-profit barefoot boots which he co-founded a charity aims to prove health education and gender equality among refugees which is absolutely beautiful and then and the other australian oh wait wait wait, one more one more for yours is the indigenous campaigner senior australian of the year professor tom karma is a university chancellor i spent decades improving the lives of indigenous people he's 69 kungarakan elder born in darwin 45 years as a champion but yeah that's pretty incredible so some very very worthy awards there he referred to the upcoming referendum on the voice saying an enduring partnership with indigenous communities that allowed them to advise on the decisions that affected their lives was vital yeah absolutely yeah so the other australian of the year is a local hero and um the news article in that we're sharing today is from the canberra times so not sure if you're familiar with Canberra Times, Tracy. No, uh, but it's probably like as we don't live there. So the Canberra Times um, this week, uh, the headline um, was Australian of the Year, Local Hero 2023, Amar Singh Turns Hate to Good. 
Local Hero Australian of the Year for 2023, Amar Singh wants every kid to be proud of their food, their language, their culture and their appearance. He runs Turbans for Australia, an, Australia, an organisation which is a force for good that came out of bad. We go where our people are hurting, he said. Mr Singh said migrants come to Australia because it was a beautiful country and encouraged them to share their cultures. It's our duty as migrants from ethnic backgrounds to make sure everyone that calls Australia home to make sure they can learn about our culture and our values, he said. We're all equal. We all come from different lands, from a wonderful First Nation people to our newest migrants. We're all equal. And he goes on to say, turbans are part of the essential identity of followers of a Sikh faith, but they also attract racist, racist abuse, as Amos Singh found his cost in 2014. He was so outraged at the slurs that he phoned into a radio station and told the story. Amazingly, the abuser heard the broadcast and phoned in to apologise. When does that happen? Where, where you get the opportunity to basically hear from your abuser and get an apology. So, Never. And, and it's, not, it's not what he even, what he even um, called in for. Wow. So he must have resonated. Whatever he said, whatever Amal Singh said in that radio um, show, whatever he shared, it must have been so powerful enough and it must have resonated to the point where his, his abuser also called in to then apologize mm. so incredible the outrage didn't leave mr singh so he decided to do something about it rather than just allowing himself to seize inside the abuse galvanized him to form turbans for australia with the aim of altering perceptions people in turbans or sikhs should be seen doing good for people of all faith was the thought every week it his volunteers package and distribute around 450 food and grocery hampers to hungry people in Western Sydney. And they don't just distribute food to the needy. According to the group, a quarter of the people who drowned in Australia in the decade to 2018 were born overseas. Australia's migrant and ethnic communities desperately need education about water safety to prevent any more tragic deaths, Turbans for Australia said. So they launched a migrant water safety and awareness campaign Primarily, primarily for Australia's culturally diverse communities. So that's amazing. That's an amazing um, uh, organisation that Amar Singh has set up. So I can understand why he's been named the local hero. And and it's great to see Amar Singh also bring attention to him wearing a turban. And we, you know, we talked previously about embracing um, body image, embracing what you look like. And for Al Singh, this is about embracing his identity as a Sikh. The turban is the sign of, of, of your, your Sikh heritage, your Sikh faith, that's right. Mm -hmm. And um, and it's great that he's embracing it. Um, I know, again, back in England, as we mentioned, you know, there's a lot more diversity that you can see. And there's a lot more, um, there's a lot more people that you come across wearing turbans. Whereas over here in Sydney, um, you know, our... I don't know about anyone else's experience, but um, but where, and where I live, you know, it's 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 the eastern suburbs of, of Sydney. You don't often come across um, people of Sikh faith. You don't come across um, people wearing turbans. Mm -hmm. So so it's it's always great. It's always great to, to see Sikhs in my area. Um, to see um, people wearing turbans. Um, sometimes they're referred often to turbinators, um, which was 
previously a very derogative term, but now I think what's happened over the years is that um, people of a Sikh faith have actually embraced it, the word Terminator, and they identify themselves sometimes, some people as Terminators. So it's great to see Terminators here. In I've, not, I've never heard that term before. No. Uh, and to me, because I've never heard it used in a derogatory way, um, because I've never really heard it. So to me, the first thing that comes to mind is like power and strength, because I'm thinking Terminators, like, oh, you know, that's kind of the the idea I get with that. Uh, like quite a funny reference. Yes. Um, yeah, because it is um, it is something to be it's something to be very proud of, and because the word is, I suppose, it's come from obviously Terminator. It's got that strength. It's got that power. It's got that ownership around it. And so I think that's also the reason why a lot of um, Sikhs have also embraced um, that word too, Terminator. That's so cool. I actually did get in a taxi the other week with um, a Sikh because I was wearing a turban. Oh, I'm so annoyed with myself because my memory is, you know, isn't the best of, at times. But I remember we did, I was asking him a question like, What's up with the colour? That oh, it was a beautiful colour. That was it. It's like a beautiful purpley blue colour. So I was asking him about the colour and what it meant, and like those different colours. And he was telling me the different colours, and I've forgotten like the explanations about also, the different colours. Each of the colours symbolise a trait of a face. Is that? Is I that I, 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 he was using specific words. They might have been Sanskrit words or something. For the different colours, I just, I wish I could have taught more. I would probably remember to get a deeper understanding. I'm so annoyed with myself. Um, but then um, I just think, gosh, wouldn't the world be boring if we all just look the same? I know. Ah. Yeah. The reputation of the turban has also changed throughout the decades. I know when I was a lot younger, I went to a very diverse um, populated school and um, uh, there was there was lots of um, children of Sikh communities and they had top knots and then by the time I got to secondary school um, those those kids who had the top knots they they had either then cut their hair to fit in to 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 the secondary school or um, they would be uh, they would they would go on to wear turbans as teenagers the boys and then once they once they left school and I saw them again. Um, sometimes I didn't recognize them because they'd actually had their haircut, and and so they, it was it was about fitting in. It was about being accepted. But now, and then as the time as time evolved, you got to see turbans on the the catwalks. You got to see even oh, with it's the turban on the catwalk. There's turbans in the catwalks. There was even. Um, there was a series of uh, actually a film, Sex in the City, where um, one of the main characters, Samantha, she wore a turban throughout uh. one of the main kind of episodes. And so, and it, and it, it's you know they're, they're plastered now across fashion magazines, and I think there definitely has been a, a, a change, a title change, when the reputation of the turban. And so now it's also again because we're now embracing who we are, we're embracing other cultures. And now there's, you know, somebody who's of a Sikh faith who has a top knot and then it then it basically progresses onto a turban. It's it's probably a lot easier now compared to many decades ago, where people like Amar Singh, they, they were being abused, um, there were racial slurs around the turban. Uh, that was probably quite common in the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. Whereas compared to now, 
because we're embracing ourselves more focus on being comfortable about who you are and embracing different faiths and cultures there is that particular perception of a turban it is changing slowly but there is change happening I don't know I just didn't I still think I mean it stems from not understanding and not knowing people seem to be afraid or make fun of the things they don't know or understand and that he was talking about something that happened 10 years ago you know not not 30 40 years ago yeah that's a good point I suppose I don't I don't often see many people with with turbans now but I think that's probably because of where I live Mm. Um, yeah yeah I mean absolutely I didn't know I didn't even think because there wasn't any Sikhs at my high school that I'm aware of actually nobody wearing turbans or having top knots so I didn't realize that was like an evolution and Mm. just to think the fashion this is what's interesting fashion has come from like you were talking about the turbans but it became part of high fashion and women wore turbans where really it's a man it's a man that wears the turban if it's about the religion um and the top knots thing that was so fashionable in the last I don't know x amount of years I had not even considered the linkage to Sikhism yes and I think also maybe some because I'm not of, of a Sikh faith I think maybe there's the identity of the turban being um, being of a Sikh faith and of a Sikh culture. And I think um, what's happened over the years is that you don't necessarily, even if you're part, even if you follow a faith, you don't need to look that part. And so that's why there hasn't been, um, like when I was growing up in the seventies and eighties, it was very much around about you, you look like the faith that you follow. Um, and whereas nowadays, um, now that I'm in my 40s going on 50s, it's a case of you don't you can be of a faith, but you don't need to look like you're from a particular faith. And so with Sikhism and I, with an identity of, of being a Sikh with a turban, you, that's another reason why there may not necessarily be that many turbans or mm. turbanates that you now see. And when you look different, it's unfortunate, but you can be opening up yourself for or an invitation for abuse not that it's that's correct in any way Mm. and so because we don't often see a man with a turban on the street yeah and I guess it's because of how I grew up and my background when I say something different what that creates in me is curiosity and I want to ask questions right fascinate I want to know more but when other when some people other people see something different they want to attack that's like, fear I know that's it's fear but it's interesting isn't it it's interesting that the different reactions to difference I guess it's fear that's going to ch- change your way of life or harm your way of life in some way but then um, let's not get into that because we could be yeah. here for like that's hours that's another podcast, that's another podcast. yeah <laughs> oh, all right all right I've got, a, I've got a what would you do Okay, yes, okay, yes, that's right. Yes. I've got to do my little made-up jingle that changes every week. What would you do? You ready? Yes, okay, go okay. for it. All right, so this is a work context. Work context. Okay. A co-worker confides in you. I honestly just find it easier to work with men. I honestly just find it easier to work with men. You see that kind of comment, maybe it's some um, it's geared towards 
the specific industry that you may be working in, or it could be geared to a specific environment that person is experiencing with that comment. If it's said in general anyway, I always uh, prefer working with, with men, or I always prefer working with women. You know, uh, that's a different context. If someone said to me, oh, I prefer working with, with men or women, or I prefer working with women, that's to me saying that they've obviously had an experience within that company, within that environment. And so um, that's what, yeah. Mm. There's, always, there's always a story, there's always a reason, there's a reason behind that. Mm. So whether, whether or not it's valid or not, I'm not too sure. And that's again going again about being having a curious mind. I'll be asking around, you know, why would that be? All right. Okay. Because it could cool. because that particular comment could be due to a specific incident that's happened within that environment, within that company, maybe within even that industry. So um Mm-hmm. Because you can get you can get departments where there are women who are notoriously cutthroat, mm-hmm. and when uh, in a professional environment, um, there's it's that cutthroat attitude. And um, if if all the women are like that, then or if everyone's like that, then you just suppose it comes down to the context. Yeah, everything does. You're right. Absolutely. Well, for this. I guess the point is, and this is what it says, why it matters. Your colleague's preference for working with men could lead them consciously or unconsciously to overlook talented women. Because, all right, this coworker says, find it easy to work with men. That means, that potentially means and depends on their position and their influence in that workplace, that they're putting together teams or they're choosing to work with people, choosing not to work with other people because if you've got a preference for one, you exclude generally excluding the other, if you can. Um, so when this happens, women can miss career opportunities and your co-worker can miss the chance to work with women from whom they might learn something. I never feel like, well, no, that's not true. I was going to say, I never feel like qualities I'm, I'm not liking in someone in a workplace is because of the gender. Mm-hmm. I was going to say that, but then I think about it, that's not, that's not true. Sometimes I feel like, women are forcing certain behaviors to feel it more accepted that they think is how they need to behave. I feel like that about some women. Um, but anyway, another well, podcast. In that context, though, because oh. if a woman says, oh, I prefer working with men, there's obviously there's likely to be an experience that has been had whereby um, there's been a number of women who have obviously not supported this woman, which mm. is why she's led to say, or to share the comment, I prefer working with men. Mm. I've been in a situation in the advertising industry where I've worked in a department which consisted of nine women, including myself, and there was one male in the team. Mm. And I remember when the male was hired to be in the team, it was previously a group of nine women in this one department. And when the hire was made and it was a male, and it was announced that it was a male, there was a lot of hype, there was a lot of excitement within the within the group. And um, the group also consisted of fairly younger women. Mm. They were very excited about having this male on board. 
and when and I remember I didn't always I never I never felt like I fitted in within that group um, and I'm not sure why um, but um, it was an all-women group and I was overlooked for opportunities mm. by women in that group my comments in a boardroom were um, were always criticized my ideas were not taken seriously in a group of nine women and I remember when the male um, hire came on board the male I found that in the boardroom when I put forward my ideas it was the male um, hire who backed me with my ideas and it was only when he backed me in the idea in the boardroom was that it, it got the attention of the other women who I'd been working with for months mm. what happened in that situation was I could have had an experience whereby I would say oh I, um, I don't like working with women but I didn't I I came away from that and I was reflecting on myself about what I could have done better in that situation, how I could have reacted better in that situation. It was only until a few years passed, I'd already left that company and I bumped into the male hire who had also left. It was only when he had left and he shared with me and he said to me, he said, I saw how the other women in the department, in the team, belittled you, belittled your value, your comments, the contribution you made. Mm. And simply unacceptable mm. and so there are experiences where in the workplace where you have women and they band together and there may be another woman in the group and they don't actually they basically there's discrimination against another women there are lots of situations I'm sure that happen in the workplace where women do not stick up for each other absolutely you're absolutely right I don't think it's specific to gender though I see men do that as well so I'm, I totally agree women do that I just don't think it's gender specific. I think it's for whatever reason, women can be just, just as bad, basically. Um, but this is what it says. It says your colleague's preference, because you're right as well. You're right. It's context dependent. Who knows what's happened in the past and where that yeah. where this idea has come from. But but the point that they want to make here is that comment might signal that your coworker thinks women are less talented or less likable than men. Yeah. You can ask what makes you say that because really they're generalizing. They're picking a whole 50% of, you know, people in the world. They're not saying I find it easy to work with other, another person other than this person. They're saying men, I find it easy to work with men. So I don't find it easy to work with women. So that's a big number of people to exclude. Yeah, I suppose it depends on what kind of experience she's had with the men that she's been working with and the women that she's been working with. We don't know. We don't know if it's a she co-worker or a he co-worker. And we don't know if it's based on experience or perception. This is the point. We don't know because we don't know the context. This is one context. What you said, brilliant, the first time. You said you get curious, you ask questions. So you can ask, what makes you say that? And then when people are asked to explain themselves, it leads them to rethink the position. So if it was... The, the context that they believe that uh, men have some sort of superior qualities and they're better to work with for that reason, if that was the context, then they'll realise that if it was unconscious from the questions, yeah? But it might not be. There might be other experiences. You're right. So, so you, if that was the case, so let's say if somebody said to you, um, Oh, I prefer working with men than women. Would you call them out on that? 
would you say, oh, do you realise what you've just said? Um, would you actually? Well, no, because I don't know the reason they said that yet. I would ask a question. What makes you say that? And so it then, depends. Once they answered that, would you then, um, or if they, if they said, for example, um, uh, oh, I say that because um, because women can be like this and men, men are much more easier to work with because you can do A, B and C. Mm. Um, women are X, Y, Z. Would you call it out? with them if it was a co-worker would you say yeah you- but I probably I wouldn't like be attacking them or anything I'd probably say well you know I think it's unfortunate that's your experience I've had lots of experience of the opposite I've had really fantastic worked with fantastic guys I'm really cluey I'm really inclusive and the same for women and then I've had the other experience so I think you need to be open-minded and and just see who the person is you're dealing with at the end of the day, that's how I feel about it. If you're lucky enough to have had those experiences to share, but again, even if you haven't, the fact is you, everyone's different and you're still closing yourself off just to think that way. It's and limiting you. Yeah, there you go. And that's exactly what, um, what would probably be the solution there. Well, this is what they say. So it can, you know, just asking a question, a curious question, can lead people to rethink their position. And then you can explain why it happens. It can be, and if you're talking specifically about bias, it can be eye-opening to understand how bias works or share your own perspective. I've had great experiences working with women. This is like a comment. Even if you can't convince them to think differently, you can push back on their point of view. And it says why it can happen is your colleague may say this because some because of performance bias, which can lead them to incorrectly assume that men are more competent than women. Likeability bias is another thing talked about before, can lead them to feel that competent women are less likable and therefore harder to work with. And if your colleague is a man, if this comment may be rooted in the affinity bias, he may prefer to work with people like himself. So there's different kinds of biases potentially at play there. And that's the point. Don't know until you dig deeper. It. that's like with any situation yeah mm. so that was the what would you do thanks for that bath i worked in a workplace that was predominantly women i wish there was more men in there men definitely have something different to bring to the table and so do women so it would have been yeah. nice to just like perspective it, it is like you say it's all about context because um it's, it's also about um what type of working um style do you have so um just to just to put your blinkers on and say i I prefer just working with this 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 sector is um is is yeah is is not only closing yourself off but it's also um it means that you're not necessarily varied in your in your working style. I think if you're gonna survive, you need to be able to be flexible in yeah. your style anyway. Adapt- really. Adaptability. That's yeah. the whole area of moving forward. Um uh being able to move forward is you have to you have to be adaptable. Exactly. Or else you're going to have a very painful life if you can't you can't do that that concludes our show for today thank you wonderful Bavna, for so joining great, us yeah, it was great to kind of d- dig deeper and um yeah dive more into the australians of the year and um and how they've contributed and um what lessons they can teach us absolutely and able to be um, it's been great to be able to discuss that today yeah. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Great. I'll see you next time. I'll see you next time. Bye.
Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you have as much fun with us today as we did. If what you heard resonated with you, don't forget to show the love and like our YouTube channel, All One with Tracy G. Give us a five-star rating on whichever podcast platform is lucky enough to have this episode because they rock too. Feel free to email us stories or questions at alloneinclusive at gmail.com and sign up for my newsletter if updating yourself about everything which goes down sounds like something right up your alley at tracygandu.com. Until the next time, see ya!